Elon Musk is trying to defy gravity. Facebook tries to outrun the extinction part of social media by moving into new spaces. We have enough data to say that this was an era that changed the world, but we're moving on to the next era now. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Monday, November 21st, which means it's Media Monday. Today, John Kelly and I talk about the thing media people love to talk about the most, Twitter. Can the company survive the chaos of Elon Musk? We'll also discuss the looming layoffs at CNN and what needs to be done to shepherd the network into an uncertain future. We'll hear about all that and more in today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com. Dot M-E slash powers, because you're not just investing in better sleep, you're creating a better life. Happy Monday, everybody. Welcome to the powers that be. If it's Monday, it's Media Monday, in which I'm joined by the world's biggest soccer fan, John Kelly. Uh, are you excited for the World Cup? You know, I, I have to be honest, uh, I, I'm a huge sports fan in every way. Soccer, which I will never call football. I think that's so pretentious. Sorry. I was only really um, uh, awakened to the dawning of this event by the decree of these, like, you know, Budweiser stories that they're now only allowing beer in the in the suites. And then my Google TV or YouTube TV prompted me um, the way to watch the, the World Cup. Fair. Well, I actually... I really like soccer. I really like the World Cup. I'm disappointed that it's happening in the fall. And I'm disappointed that it's happening where it's happening. But uh, it'll it'll just be weird being like adjacent to American football over Thanksgiving and the holidays. But I will be tuning in. Yeah, well, they, they got a good price for it. So, you know, gotta... <laughs> Speaking of uh, getting a good price for something, actually the opposite. Let's talk about Twitter. It's Media Monday after all. But, you know, I feel like Twitter is the media in a lot of ways. Obviously, last week might have 
been the you know nadir of Elon Musk's tenure uh, running Twitter. People are quitting left and right after he asked them to be more hardcore. You see people posting on Twitter. You know, we might not be here very long. It was nice knowing everybody. <laughs> are you going to leave Twitter? Are you going to go somewhere else? Are you going to sign up for Mastodon? You know, I, I think I have heard from people in and around Twitter that, that Twitter has actually never been more popular or rarely been more popular. I think there is obviously a ton of anger directed towards the platform, as there has been for a long time, but and, and towards Musk. And, he, and he's certainly making himself easy to hate. I think he savors these moments, uh, or he seems to, in this perverse psychology of his. But I really think this is an overblown uh, media hysteria. Um, you know, I think that the, the media largely feels like it, it owns Twitter. I haven't seen anyone ostensibly abandon it. You know, our colleague Bill had uh, a conversation with Sir Martin Sorrell, who's the sort of wise man of the ad industry a, a week or so ago. And Sorrell was quick to make a point that I find myself agreeing with. Twitter was so poorly managed for so long. It really had an, an absent CEO for the better part of a decade that it only has 1% of the global advertising industry. I mean, Facebook and Google have you know, the vast majority. Twitter is at 1%. It should stand to reason that with product fixes, with a different kind of leadership, absent all number of unforced errors that uh, you know, certainly can't be ruled out, it should be able to grow that into the higher single digits. Like, I don't want to like blindly ignore the fact that the, the blue check thing seems like it's going the wrong way. And obviously I don't like the way that he's treated these people, but, but Elon Musk is motivated to do this. It stands to reason that with the right executives and management team and plan, that there's at least a credible chance that Elon Musk could increase the market share to the middle single digits, maybe higher. And I think that there's one other piece too, and, and um, I don't want to sound like uh, a cold-hearted capitalist in saying this, but he is just massively motivated to do this. There's so much hate directed towards him, understandably, but he has put so much of his money into this and he may be worth a couple hundred billion dollars, but he's put you know tens of billions into this. And if this doesn't turn enough of a profit to service the debt, then he risks having to put much more in. And that sort of like skin in the game is just, it's motivating. It's why the whole industry of venture capital exists. It's why private equity exists. They believe that management teams should be incentivized to grow companies. Those ownership positions allow them to make the really, really tough, brutal calls that he's making. I mean, you know, obviously the way he's handled this is, is pretty appalling, but these are difficult decisions. These are not easy decisions. And, and he's making them in this seemingly slapdash way, not simply because he's an asshole, although I certainly leave open that possibility, but because he is out of time to waste. He knows that he has to turn this thing around and make it more profitable really, really fast or else he's going to lose it. I'm not totally sure how he does that. I had um, drinks in New York last week with a friend of mine who worked at Twitter like 10 years ago. And he was telling me this story about how he was sitting in like a sales meeting and it was like, him, some account manager, and then like reps from Colgate. They were in like the cafeteria or some room at the Twitter offices in SF and like on the wall behind them, there were like, you know, all this artwork and it was like hashtag Arab, Arab Spring or like hashtag Black Lives Matter from that era. And my friend was like, we're sitting there against the backdrop of like these Arab Spring hashtags and we're calling Twitter like the global town square. And we're just trying to like sell toothpaste. You know, in, in the recent days, like his, he knows all these people from Twitter that still work there and they've been leaving and like sharing memories. And he was like, I just thought about this recently because their narrative, at least on the sales side, has been the same for ever. <laughs> like they haven't really evolved as 
a company. Yes, like Twitter looks different than it did 10 years ago. Yes, you can type out more characters, but like their ad products are fundamentally just brand awareness ads. I guess my friend was sort of making the point that not that Twitter was like a shell game or a house of cards like uh, FTX, you know, but that it was just always kind of on thin ice. It's barely ad supported. Brands are pulling back. They're not necessarily putting their ad money elsewhere right now. Um, They're just kind of holding on to it. And it just feels like Elon is kind of exposing for people who thought that Twitter was this like huge, successful, gigantic company. It's just kind of not. It's just not anywhere close to the other social media behemoths out there. And I think what Elon, his management style is like just crazy. But it is just exposing that like Twitter wasn't perfect. And all the people who are like, well, goodbye, Twitter. It was nice knowing you. We loved it. You know, those are the same people who like three months ago were like, get me off this hellscape. (laughs) Our generation is the generation that will continue to use Twitter. Facebook is for our parents' generation. Twitter is for ours. TikTok is for the youngs, I think, until they find out that their data has been compromised. And and Snapchat, as you live and breathe, is for all of mankind. Um, (laughs) Thank you, John. No, but but like the the use cases for Twitter are increasingly... the chaotic stuff where you'd expect from a town square, right? We, it's not uh, an incredible ad form, but it is sticky. I guess if you want to make the bull case for the Elon deal, it's that Twitter is only probably worth, you know, 20 something billion dollars as a, as a privately held company now, maybe, maybe, maybe less, in fact, I think certainly less according to some metrics, but the 44 billion that he paid for it represents a fraction of of what it should be worth when you think that an undervalued Facebook is trading at around 300 billion, let's call it. I haven't looked at the stock market today. And uh, TikTok is is obviously privately held, uh, but its private valuation is around that mark too. It stands to reason that, that Twitter with its really, really valuable API and with its legacy and its brand recognition should be able to at least have a chance at a path to getting toward the sort of centibillion range one way. And I, I guess I, I um, am of the mind that every incentive to get it there is one that makes it better. There's been this prevailing fear that it'll turn into some awful Fox Newsified uh, or, or even worse, you know, parlorified uh, service. What a terrible business decision that would be. You know, and it's just hard to imagine when you look at his other businesses, Elon Musk has showed a lot of aptitude at making consumer-friendly products. Tesla started at the top of the pyramid, making a totally unaffordable vehicle. And guess what? Over time, it retrenched and then went downward and made increasingly consumer-friendly products that put safety and technology at the core of the product. I actually think that part of what is going on at Twitter is a microcosm of what goes on inside Elon Musk, where there's this interior monologue between a very practical person and this monstrous, self-flagellating, difficult id that just wants to piss people off. But I think that the practical side will eventually win out. Why couldn't 20 engineers, a benevolent billionaire, and two weeks of coding, couldn't you just build another Twitter? What's your counter argument there? Like, why can't Twitter just be like built better elsewhere with some better content moderation policies? For a number of sort of unique and bizarre Uh, matters pertaining to just how these companies grow. I don't think you'd be able to recreate Twitter. I'm 100% positive you couldn't recreate Twitter because I don't think you'd ever be able to create the seeds of it, meaning you wouldn't get the financing to do it. I don't think it would be possible. There's a new company uh, that's uh, 
coming out of the garage now called uh, Post or The Post. I think the, the, the founder of Waze started it and it's got some momentum and it's more of a, I think, a refined uh, adult sharing tool. It's a text-based social platform. I don't, I don't know anything about it. it. It's emerging in the marketplace. I have a hard time imagining how VCs would get really excited about this product and how they put the kind of money behind it that it needs. Their minds are in crypto, although certainly, um, you know, they've, they've been chilled there and in AI, metaverse and SaaS. Social is just not an, uh, an investable area anymore outside of TikTok. So I think, you know, uh, I presume Post was bootstrapped because the, the founders had uh, the capital to, to give it a go. Uh, but I just don't see something even being able to get out of the cradle at this point. And that's for actually pretty practical reasons. I think that social media we've seen has an arc, you know, and it's 10 to 15 years of rapidly growing consumption. And then there's this monetization period where they either sink or swim. That was clearly where YouTube and Facebook became just ginormous and Instagram became ginormous. And Twitter really struggled. It was a consumer behavior that people liked, but the revenue piece was never really figured out. And then there's this last section, which is the sort of the late stage one. And that's where Elon Musk is trying to defy gravity. Facebook tries to outrun the sort of extinction part of social media by acquiring new products and moving into new spaces and trying to open up new lines of revenue. Uh, I'll be curious, very curious to see how TikTok is able to do this. I think that this is where the CCP could probably really help them if they, they run into trouble, which is you know part of what really alarms me about this. Twitter, the only clue that they're presenting now is that they're going to charge people more. They're going to find ways to make this more presentable to advertisers. They're going to hope and pray that something works. But we have enough data at our fingertips here to say that this was an era that changed the world but we're moving on to the next era now. The rooms where these ideas get funded are really small and they're filled with a lot of smart people and they usually have real ideological views of, um, of where technology is headed. And I think by and large, the people that I talk to in those rooms are, all believe that it's going elsewhere and, and they want to put that money to work doing different things. All right, when we come back, I want to ask John about Cable News Network. Hey, Powers That Be listeners, I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated list of gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. I use Etsy all the time and have for years. I bought my brother some artwork. I bought my wife some jewelry. I even bought a rug for our living room on Etsy. I love it. But there's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for friends and family members around the holidays or birthdays in my life. And sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with gift mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for a buddy who's just as into Cincinnati sports as I am, a hot cup of Joe, Joe Burrow mug. That's right, I found that on Etsy, it's amazing. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic, try Gift Mode on Etsy now. 
Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash powers that be, netsuite.com slash powers that be. That's netsuite.com slash powers that be. So John, Dylan Byers has obviously done a lot of reporting on CNN over the last month and then a lot of the discontent that he's hearing at least from, from people there about the direction of the network or mixed messaging. On Friday afternoon, Dylan tweeted out that, that CNN CEO Chris Licht canceled his trip to Abu Dhabi for a bunch of like sales meetings. Uh, he was going to go to the F1 Grand Prix and then he canceled this trip. This comes on the heels of a town hall that Chris Licht did with employees. And it sounds like, at least according to Dylan's reporting, that there was some discontent that he was making this trip. So it sounds like he's backpedaling. I actually uh, suggested this segment because in part, I want to clear the air. I think people think that Dylan is incredibly obsessed with with Chris Licht and CNN. I am too. I think this is the story of our time, what's happening there. It's a microcosm of all the changes that are taking place in our industry at large, where you have just these tectonic shifts, it changes in consumer behavior. People used to live and die by cable news. Now the ratings are down. There was a business model based on these fees and, and retrans fees, and that existed forever uh, elegantly. It was such a, a wonderful model that 99% of the people didn't have to watch and they'd still pay for your network. It was the, the original sort of hidden subscriber business. And then, of course, because of the retrenchment, there are fewer places to go. So there's less mobility among the workforce. And that doesn't just mean the anchors. That just means everyone who, who's a producer. And that's all set against the freeze or, or backdrop of a entertainment industry that is both retrenching and trying to figure out how to make it through this rapid head-turning event where you go from being pure sub-driven businesses to hybrid businesses to trying to figure out how to how to balance it to all amid a recession and cost-cutting. So CNN, as one of the most famous brands in America, if not the world, is at the center of this and fasting. So to your question, Chris Lick did a town hall this week. He talked to, I think there were a couple hundred people in the room. He also um, broadcast a thousand people around the world. He also gave an interview to Kara Swisher. And he mentioned that he was going to Abu Dhabi. There's advertising and sales meetings there. The, the, the guy doesn't need to explain why he's doing international travel. But there's a travel freeze at CNN for, for non-essential journalism. So I think that there were some, there were some pissed off people there. And as you know, um, on Friday, Dylan tweeted that he ended up sort of reversing his trip in a kind of Ted Cruz-esque fashion. Here is why this is interesting to me. I am not here to say that uh, he's doing a good job or a not good job or anything like that. But it is clear that the internal anxiety 
inside that place is just astronomical to the point where people are no longer seeing straight. Is Chris Lick, the CNN and is the CEO and chairman of CNN, allowed to go to Abu Dhabi on business and to take his family with him? Sure. That's one of the perks of the job. These are really, really hard jobs. And he joined this company at a time when he was going to have to make some incredibly painful changes, whether he liked it or not, or, and whether he knew it, frankly, at the time or not. But where I think this is headed, and it's really fascinating, is that certainly he's inspired some disaffection from inside the ranks. But I don't think always fairly. I think that what's happening now is that people are jumping on this guy internally at CNN because they are worried right? They're worried about what's going to happen to their own careers. And it's becoming misguided. And it reminds me, frankly, in near history of what happened when Jeff Zucker was pushed out and Jason Kylar, you know, kept returning to try and put everyone at bay. And, you, you know, Dylan did an amazing job reporting on this too. And Jake Tapper would grandstand in the CNN newsroom and call Chris Cuomo a, a terrorist and blah, blah, blah. And they were protesting in high-minded ways, but it didn't take a genius to observe that on some level they were protecting themselves too. And you have to wonder if uh, we're getting to that place too, where people are just profoundly worried about their own situations. They may want to blame Chris Lick, but the truth is he is not either strong or weak enough to change the global economic situation that he faces or the, the various secular changes that he faces. To me, this is like media Shakespeare. I've never seen anything happen this dramatically and this quickly, and it's astonishing. And it's also important to remember, while Chris might be taking a lot of the heat for this anxiety, this is part and parcel of a larger restructuring, offloading at Warner Brothers Discovery. And Zaslov came in with, you know, the mission of finding quote unquote efficiencies and saving money. And this is happening across the entire larger company. And it's not just like Chris Lip came in and he's like, you know what? Like, I'm going to be like Mr. Burns and just like fire everyone. Like, that's not, <laughs> that's not, no. you know, he is, he is, has the unfortunate job of carrying that out. But, you know, you cannot tell the story of these coming CNN layoffs without telling a larger story about Warner Brothers Discovery. Absolutely. One last thing I want to ask you, John, before uh, we get off into our Thanksgiving week. Obviously, you're not in the room. You've never run a TV network. But like, if you are like making these cuts, what are the kind of people that might be laid off? I mean, this is a huge organization. There's, you know, 4,500 people, I think, in, in, in CNN. Um, is it like talent with like overloaded salaries? Is it like, long-term rank and file? Like, where do you even begin? The question everyone wants an answer to, and um, only two people know that answer, is to what extent this is Lick's decision entirely or to what extent he's getting some guidance from Zaslov and, and Gunnar Wiedenfels, the, the CFO. Lick told Kara that these are his cuts. But I have to assume that there's some coordination going on because it would be bad business if there wasn't, you know? And I think if there's one unspoken truth to all of this, it's been that Zaz has had a more difficult time presiding over these changes than he anticipated. I think the global economic situation occurred a little more swiftly than they may have anticipated. I think that there were some disappointing earnings. My suspicion would be that you will find areas of CNN to be truncated where there are duplications elsewhere in the Warner Brothers Discovery media ecosystem. I think we're already seeing whiffs of that by the way they pruned documentary filmmaking and, and the sort of upscale Stanley Tucci, you know, stuff that, that thrived in the, in the Zucker era. Even if these are licks cuts and even though there's no coordination, which again, I would find shocking and, and irresponsible, 
that kind of work can be done at HBO or on the Discovery platforms. They actually have a, a ton of core competence making reality TV. It's not going to be talent. Talent's expensive, but in the grand scheme of things, not that expensive. Usually the duplications can be found uh, operationally as well. And, you know, one of the things that we are paying attention to and we've, you know, heard a little bit about it behind the scenes is we make fun of bean counters and MBAs on this program from time to time. But this is an area where operational expertise is needed. When you are making decisions about how to impact workforces so that jobs that are potentially uh, duplicative can be eliminated, but that the function can still survive. And I hope and assume that Licht has gotten a ton of judgment uh, and, and guidance and buy-in from his managers who are ensuring that the network can still function with, without as many people. And my assumption is that actually probably can. This isn't going to make a, a viewer in Kansas turn off CNN and say, oh my gosh, I don't like this anymore. There's probably a way that this is very low touch, but from a morale standpoint inside the building, it is just absolutely devastating. In media, as we've said before, you're either growing or you're right-sizing. And uh, I think they've tried to create the narrative here that they're shrinking to grow again. Peter, I can give you uh, very few examples of shrinking to grow again really working. It only works on a, on a parent co-level where they can shrink so that WBD can grow again. And as I watch these cuts, I just look forward to the um, the day we find out that um, there's going to be a, an even bigger parent company, you know, whether it's Comcast, Paramount, I don't know. There are obviously material obstacles along the way here, but this company needs more revenue to service its considerable debt. Until they get there, there will be uh, more cuts and, and eventually more merging. All right, John, thanks for insight as always. It was great seeing you last week in the uh, POC HQ. So great to see you. All right, John, have a good week, man. You too, buddy. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you tomorrow. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, and Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13. 